This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. So today, what we're doing is we're concluding a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been addressing religious hypocrisy. And he's been addressing three areas of hypocrisy uh, for first century Judaism. Uh, These would be areas that we need to be aware of as well, obviously. So the first one in chapter 6, the first few verses address the practice of giving money to the poor. The second section, which we looked at last week, addresses prayer, and he teaches us how to pray in there. And the third section that we're looking at today is on fasting. And in all of these things, what Jesus is doing is he's communicating that it's possible to do righteous acts, these sort of spiritual disciplines. It's possible to do those in a very hypocritical way. And the hypocrisy he's addressing here is the hypocrisy that does the right thing for the wrong reason. And in each of these passages, he's talking about the wrong reason being doing something for the attention of others. So if we do spiritual practices, religious activities, good works, whatever you want to call it, if we do those kinds of things so that we are noticed by others and we seek to win their admiration and their respect as a giving person, as a praying person, or in this text today, as a fasting person, if we do that, then we are hypocritical. Uh, and Jesus addresses that. Jesus is addressing really the all-important question when we think about our lives, and particularly our service to Christ, which is all of life. But if we think about our lives, he's really asking the big question, for whom am I doing these things? Am I praying so that others hear and see and are impressed, or am I praying to my Father who is in heaven? And same with fasting. Am I doing these things so others respect me and others admire me, or are we doing these things to please the Lord? So that's what this has all been about. And so today we're going to look at fasting, and uh, we're going to start by reading the passage, and then we'll break it open. So Matthew 16, verses 16 to 18. This is God's holy word. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, uh, fasting is quite a happening these days. I don't know if you knew that, but fasting is a happening activity. I mean, a few years ago, if I were to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to talk about fasting, uh, most of us would have only thought of fasting in terms of uh, maybe some medieval monk uh, punishing his body by this rigorous self-discipline of, you know, forsaking food to somehow uh, please the Lord or something like that. But nowadays, it is all the rage. And I read an article, uh, a different kind of fasting, I should say, but uh, it's all the rage. I read an article um, at Vox this week uh, where it was talking about the popularity of fasting. And um, it talks about this guy who had lost a ton of weight fasting, and they kind of feature him. And uh, his last name is Cain. It says, fasting, he says, makes him feel not just lighter, but also brighter and sharper and happier. It wakes you up and perks you up. You didn't know this, did you? It wakes you up and perks you up. 
Kane told me. It's also easier for him than going to the gym or counting calories. Quote, the most appealing thing about it is the fact that I don't have to do any kind of meal planning. I just don't eat. That's what he said, which I think that is great, you know, which is going to wait, which is heavier, the meal planning or the, you know, cooking or the, I'll just pass, too much trouble, I don't eat. The author says, I recently got in touch with him to hear about his experience with fasting because I've been noticing the buzz growing louder lately. Famous enthusiasts, enthusiasts such as reality TV star Kourtney Kardashian, musician Moby, and model Molly Sims. Actor Chris Pratt has been Instagramming about his Bible-based fast, which might go against the spirit of this passage, but that's another thing. Who am I to judge? In the media world, New York Times economics columnist Paul Krugman and MSNBC host Chris Hayes have mentioned their fasting routines. Over the past couple of decades, as dozens of diets and weight management schemes have come in and out of fashion, fasting has steadily gained popularity. And then it goes on the second half of the article, which I won't read, but second half is all about, meanwhile, there's a growing scientific literature on the subject exploring whether different types of caloric restriction can burn fat, stave off, and reverse disease, and even help you live longer. So they're just saying this is not only help you feel light, bright, and happy, but it might be the cure, and I'm not even going to go into some of the diseases they say it can cure in the article, but they also say the cure of diseases, that science is a bit sketchy. They do say that, but but I'm not even going to go into all that. My favorite part of the whole article, favorite part, is there's a reference in there to a company that sells fasting products. And I just thought, I wish I had thought of that. Just we're going to mail you an empty box. And uh, just, it's your meal for the day, your meals, all three meals are in there. Just open it up, and, uh, and it's nineteen ninety nine a week for that food service. I wish I had thought of fasting, that is brilliant. Only, only in America could someone market fasting services. <laughs> well, Jesus is speaking about going without food, um, not for weight loss or for health, and I'm not here to comment on the benefits of any of those. It may be tremendously helpful for both. I don't know. It's not my area but, uh, of expertise. Uh, but uh, he's not talking about that. He, he's talking about fasting tied to faith, tied to our awareness of God, tied to our need for God, tied to communion with God. And Jesus is addressing fasting hypocrites who want other people to know that they are fasting. They're wanting folks to know this so they'll be respected and thought of as a serious-minded follower of God. Um, Jesus assumes, first of all, let me make this point. Jesus assumes that, uh, that his followers will fast, ultimately. Verse 16, when you fast, not if you fast. So in the earlier verses, verse 2, he says, when you give. Uh, verse 5, when you pray. Those are assumed. And I think we would assume if we've been around church very long, uh, or any kind of uh, religious teaching, we assume, okay, giving, that's probably a good thing, especially almsgiving to the poor. Prayer, okay, like every religion has that. But this one may not be one we would think of as much, that when you fast, that Jesus is assuming that this would be part of those lives who would follow him, at least after he departed, that, that future believers would be fasting. So whatever fasting is about, it assumes that those in his kingdom will participate. I do want to say this before I get any further. Uh, I am not recommending, back on my area of expertise, I am not recommending you fast. 
uh, if there's some kind of health reason that it would be unsafe for you to fast. If you have a health issue, uh, or I'll talk about in a minute, if you have a mental health issue that would regard this, it may, it may be very unwise for you. So if you have a physical health issue that would hinder your fasting, please, uh, or would be unsafe or unwise, uh, please don't do that without getting some kind of medical, um, do, do that under the advice of a physician because it, uh, that, that is something to consider for sure. But Jesus is concerned that people fast for the right reasons. He says that some people fast because they want to be seen. Look what he says, verse 16. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So he says some people fast because uh, they want people to see them. The Pharisees fasted twice a week. Monday was a fast day. Thursday was a fast day. So they looked gloomy on fast days, evidently. And uh, they did something to disfigure their faces. There's some measure of debate on what this was well, not really debate. But there's different opinions on what this means to disfigure their face. Uh, some have said, or one of the most common things has been said, is that they would take some form of ash and perhaps apply that to some level on their face uh, because the ash would sort of make them look weak, uh, make them look pale. Now, these are Middle Eastern people, so their complexion, um, you could consider their complexion, but somehow the ash would, would make them look paler than their, their normally uh, complexion would look, and it would make them look weak, uh, maybe gloomy, that's the word that he uses, maybe sad, um, because on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, you wanted to let people know that you were in, that if everybody else was fasting, that you too were, so you just sort of drew a little bit of attention to your face to show that you looked gloomy, because gloomy equals holy, right? That was the assumption. Gloomy equals, it, it couldn't be godly if I'm not suffering. If it don't hurt, it's not from God, kind of the attitude. So it, this is a difficulty but to, that I want to be gloomy to show that I'm fasting. But Jesus had a little bit of a different definition of holiness. Jesus didn't teach that holiness is just about gloominess. As a matter of fact, Jesus um, was known, he was unfairly characterized as a glutton and a drunkard. Did Jesus ever eat to the point of sinful gluttony? Absolutely not. Did Jesus ever get drunk, sinfully drunk? Absolutely not. So he wasn't that, but because he freely ate and because he drank with others uh, as they ate in, in contexts like that, that's what people called him. The Pharisees fast, but Jesus just lives normally. So what Jesus was pointing out, well, he did fast for 40 days at one point. That should probably be pointed out. But what he's pointing out here is that ultimately holiness, you don't have to look gloomy because holiness is not just about restriction. Holiness is about doing whatever you do for the glory of God. So whether you feast or whether you fast, for the glory of God, doing the right thing to please and to honor him. That is what is holy. It's living a life separated unto him. And we, pray, we taught the prayer last week, hallowed be your name, Jesus's model prayer. That is saying, Lord, today may I glorify you in all that I do, all that I think, all that I do, all that I act. May it be pleasing to you. Please help me, Lord. I want to, so whether it's eating or not eating uh, for uh, spiritual reasons, uh, that is something we do for the glory of God. Now, I'm just going to teach this passage, but I do want to say something I feel is very important. Not only if you have a physical health issue about fasting, but if you're a person who, um, you know, has a real struggle with body image 
And maybe you wrestle with an eating disorder or maybe you have tendencies in that way. Uh, I, I want you to hear what I'm saying in this message very clearly. I am not recommending you fast. If that's where you are and you have a tendency to, um, you just wrestle with a desire, or it could be any number of desires, um, but, it, but it leads you to, eat, to restrict yourself from food uh, in an eating disorder, unhealthy sort of way. You should not fast. Uh, I do not want to teach something here that would, would be spiritualizing sort of self-starvation in a way. I would recommend instead that you get some help on that first before you apply this teaching. I'm going to say a lot of things today that will be relatable if you battle eating disorder. I'm going to say a lot of things will be relatable because I'm going to talk about God. So that's relatable. But I would recommend you get some help and we can refer you to some help uh, where you can get some professional help with, uh, with the issues and the struggles that you have. And it's understandable. It's nothing to be hidden or secretive. Uh, every one of us has all kinds of issues. And we all have food issues, by the way, as well in differing ways. Uh, so if you wrestle in that way, please, we want you to get some help. And we can uh, refer you and help you to get some help in that issue. I just feel it's really important I say that before we get into talking about fasting today. Um, okay. So Jesus says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Did you notice that? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be uh, seen by others, verse 18, but by your Father who is in secret. What's he saying? Well, if you normally use hair product, use hair product. Uh, if you normally wear makeup, wear makeup. Wash your, he's saying, do your normal hygiene. Whatever you normally do, do that on fast days. Because you just want to look normal. You don't want to look like someone who's drawing attention to themselves. That reveals your motive. So dress normal, look normal. Don't go around advertising deprivation. You may be not eating for certain reasons, which we'll talk about, but that's not to be advertised before others. That's between you and the Lord is what he's saying. That's, the Father sees. He knows what you're doing. We don't need ash in the face. We don't need unkempt. Oh, yeah. How's it going? Oh, hungry. <laughs> you know, we don't need that. That's not what it's about. <laughs> Is that what it's about? How was your weekend? Oh, it was great because I was eating in the weekend, but now it's a fast day. No, just look normal. Don't talk about, don't draw attention to it uh, because that's not what it's about. So why did they fast at all? I think that's a fair question. He says here, when you fast, but he doesn't define for us why you would fast. But in the Old Testament, there are a number of times when they fasted. One commentator I read in particular, Scott McKnight, comments on these and says, kind of there, were, there may be a number of different reasons, but there's three kind of big primary areas of fasting in the Old Testament. The first one was this. You fasted connected to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur was the Day of Atonement. It happened one day a year. It was when the high priest went in the Holy of Holies and went through a, a, a ceremony which was to remind the people that God forgives their sins because of the sacrifice of an animal and because of the shedding of blood. So in the Old Testament, you were required to fast. Sometimes we think, wow, vigorous. Old Testament, they had all these rules and regulations. You were required to fast one day a year. That was it, one day a year. And the Pharisees come along, and they fast more than 100 days a year. They're fasting um, you, you know, twice a week. And so it was just one day a year. But what was that about? Why would you fast on the Day of Atonement? Why would you fast on the day your sins are, God is, you know, doing, uh, God is recognizing a ritual that symbolized his forgiveness of your sins? Why, why there? Well, probably because fasting on that day was tied to an awareness of my sin. It's tied to an awareness of my need. It's all about need, my need for forgiveness, my need for God's saving power. 
It's also with gratitude and thanks that God has forgiven me. So on the Day of Atonement, you recognize your sinfulness, and you acknowledged God's powerful forgiveness, the grace of God. And so it was a time to go without food and to think of God and to think of what he's done for us by grace. Another example, number two, would be fasting in response to a grievous event. So when something happened that was traumatic, that was grievous, um, that was sobering, um, there would be fasting in response to that at point. But that was spontaneous and not required. So, for example, uh, last year we studied Nehemiah. If you remember at the beginning of Nehemiah, Nehemiah finds out that the, the wall in his homeland in Jerusalem around the city has not been restored. Long story, but he's grieved over this. So, Nehemiah 1.4 says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Here's this terrible news. The city of God, the protection for the city is in shambles. And so he mourned. And with his mourning, he, he didn't eat. He said, I'm just going to go without food and mourn, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to pour my grief out to the Lord. And I'm going to go to him in my time of need. And I'm going to actually restrict my eating during that time. So as an expression of mourning and prayer and grief, that was an example of fasting. A third one would be uh, uh, fasting connected to doing justice and caring for the poor. So Isaiah 58, uh, God talks to the people about their fasting and says, Is this not the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So he's saying in this situation, fasting, is this not the purpose of a fast? Fasting is to remember, to identify, and to help those who are under oppression in some way. And he says they're to share your bread with the hungry. So one of the purposes of the fast in that way, especially in people who didn't have much, we typically have a lot more. So people who didn't have much, if maybe you only had a, a, a ration, a daily ration of food, you only had so much, uh, then do not eat and to give what you would normally eat to the poor. So this was to remember the poor, to help the oppressed, to pray, and then to share with them in need. So those are three big areas, Day of Atonement, uh, spontaneous responses to grief and mourning, and to, uh, to do justice, to care for the poor, that sort of thing. In the New Testament, we could add to this and say we see something else in the New Testament. In Matthew 4, just two chapters earlier, Jesus fasts for 40 days. And the timing of his fast is very interesting. The enemy, uh, Satan, is tempting him throughout. But it is, uh, it is this fasting that he comes out of that period and launches his preaching, his teaching ministry, his healing, his announcing the kingdom, all that. So it is sort of a preparatory prayer and fasting before launching and in the inauguration of his public ministry. And what's so fascinating is we see the early church kind of mirroring or mimicking that pattern. Acts 13 says, this is in Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Sent Paul out on the first missionary journey, his first missionary journey. 
So what's happening there? They're praying, they're waiting on the Lord, they're fasting, going without food, and the Lord spoke to them, send Paul out, I've got a mission for him, Paul and Barnabas, got a mission for them. So the same thing, it was before the launching into this sort of gospel ministry. So we could add that, that's an example in the New Testament about fasting. So the Pharisees fasted twice a week, but there's not a reference to any of these reasons that I'm sharing, these sort of biblical reasons. Biblical fasting is about dependence on God. It's awareness for, for instance, our need for atonement, and then grateful to God, expressing gratitude for his atonement for us in Christ. It's responding in a time of grief and praying and crying out to the Lord for the Lord to intervene like Nehemiah did. It's responding to the needs of the oppressed and to the poor. It's to identify and to supply their needs where possible. It's to be set apart for focused ministry, to be dependent on God, to be dependent on God's power. And in some cases, certainly with Jesus and with Paul and Barnabas, they launching into a new, uh, new service in some way. And in each of these, fasting reveals our neediness and it's concentrated on God. That is the important thing. It's coming in contact with my neediness and focusing that neediness on God who provides my strength. It is the exact opposite of what's happening that Jesus is critiquing, the exact opposite of the religious leaders. Fasting is absolutely not an opportunity to build one's reputation. It's humbling ourselves before God. It's not elevating ourselves before others. Humbling ourselves before God, not elevating ourselves by advertising our righteous deeds before other people as they were doing then. So fasting is God-centered, and where, it's others, where there's an others orientation in fasting, it's not to impress others, it's to bear their burdens. Isaiah 58 was clearly about bearing the burdens of the hungry or the poor. So, so it's not impressing people, it's caring for people. It's focusing on God, and if there's any human sort of recognition in fasting, it's to care and help, not to impress and win their admiration. In fasting, we are really asking, what matters most to me? Lord, what, what is most important, God or food? And I think in transparency, I need to confess that this is not my spiritual, of the spiritual, of the very spiritual disciplines, this is not my strength. I'm not, uh, I have fasted, but I'm not preaching to you as one who hasn't eaten in a week and has just been praying for all you gluttonous slobs while I'm with the Lord. Uh, that is not me. A matter of fact, uh, as I was thinking about this sermon last night, at one point I was thinking about the sermon and I was cutting into a fresh pan of brownies my wife had made and eating a brownie. But I thought, I'm definitely going to emphasize that verse, fasting or feasting, all for the glory of God. So I had that brownie for the glory of God, I want you to know. But, uh, so I'm not speaking to you as one, as an expert. Uh, but I'm speaking to you as one who wants to understand, wants to grow, and wants to embrace the purpose of fasting in my prayer and in my fasting. Because what it's about is it's, it's asking the question, where is my dependence? What or who, whom ultimately sustains me? Where do I find strength? When fasting and the enemy tempts Jesus, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When, when this enemy says, make these stones bread because Jesus is hungry, and so do a little magic trick here and you can have something to eat. Jesus says, it, my dependence is on God and his word. That's what I ultimately live by. We have to have food to live, 
but it's our ultimate dependence is on God. Now, when we did the giving and the praying thing, I just said, this is about giving, and then I said everything Jesus had to say about it. And we did praying last week. I said, this is about praying, and then I said what Jesus had to say about it. But I'm going to say a little bit more about fasting, because I don't think we're as most of us, some may be, but most of us aren't as familiar with what is really going on in fasting. Most of us, uh, maybe, I don't know most, many, that's safe, many of us have never even considered fasting. We've never considered the thoughts of fasting fasting or what it's about. In chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 we talked about giving and here's a nice parallel. If giving challenges our love for money, in some ways fasting challenges our love for food. If giving challenges our dependence on money, in some ways fasting uh, challenges our dependence upon food. Food is a gift from God. I'm going to say that in several different ways but food is good Food is a gift from God. But in our culture, it can easily move from gift to idol. And when I say idol, I don't mean like statue in the Old Testament. I mean bowing down, they bow down before a totem or something like that, bow down before an image. I'm not talking about like nobody's bowing down before a stack of half gallons of bluebell ice cream and worshiping them or nobody's, you know, wearing an amulet. In the, in the shape of, a, I don't know, a cupcake or something to just we worship that or something like that. When, when I say idol and food can be an idol, what I mean by that is that the Bible speaks as an idol of anything that we rely on in place of God. Even good things, even God's gifts can become a substitute for God himself. Idols are people or things or even ideas and attitudes that we trust in for our identity for our strength, for our security, or for our comfort in place of God. In the book on the Sermon on the Mount that we have at the Resource Center by Dan Doriani, I forget the name of it, but uh, it may just be called the, the Sermon on the Mount, but it's by Dan Doriani, the book we have out there. He, he identifies several ways that we can lean on food as a replacement for God, not treating it as gift, not enjoying it as gift, not living a life that's not food-obsessed by how much I eat or don't eat. Uh, I'm not talking about living. That's good to live a life not obsessed by how much I'm not eating, just living a life thanking God for food and eating in a healthy way. That's good. But he talks about how we can lean on food in, in idolatrous ways. One would be for comfort. You know, some of us, it's a very real temptation for us when we're dealing with um, depression or loneliness Uh, anxiety, even anger, uh, emptiness, disillusionment with our lives, any any number of things we may be feeling that may be going on in our hearts, these things arise. And sometimes we can go to food to sort of medicate the pain that we feel. Matter of fact, we have a whole kind of food we call comfort food, don't we? I mean, we just acknowledge it straight up. This is low in nutrition, high in taste, high in calories, and you'll feel better. We, have a, we just don't even hide that in our culture, right? Um, we just have comfort food. But when we overeat with comfort food, not eat, but overeat gluttonously with comfort food, what can happen? We may forget the pain for, for a moment. Um, we may feel flatlined emotionally. We may feel empty in our hearts. We may feel empty and we feel like, wow, if I eat a lot of that, uh, I f- at least have some pleasure for my soul feels very pleasureless, but in those moments, I sort of feel good 
And so we eat in that sort of a way, sometimes even alone in isolation, privately and in secret. But when, when we do that sort of thing, what we're ultimately doing is we're going to a wrong source to address something that we feel and something that is going on. God gives us food as a gift for health and sustenance. He gives us food as a means of something to enjoy with other people, to build relationships with family or friends around meals. Um, he, he gives us food to celebrate as a tool for celebration when he calls us to feast. So we are even called to feast with food at times. But food and drink Food and drink, and by drink, I typically mean alcohol there. Food and drink are gifts from God, but they are never given to us as a means to to supply comfort for us, that that is your source of comfort. That is a medication for comfort. They're never given to us as a source of relief or as a source of peace, things that we could receive from the Lord ultimately. They're not a substitute for God. And so fasting is a way at times to fast spiritually. One way is that it's to declare, Lord, you are my source. You are my comfort. I come to you with my heart. I come to you. I'm, I'm going to rely upon you, and I'm not going to rely on food to medicate my soul. In grief, in pain, and sorrow, I mentioned that was a time when Nehemiah, that was an example where in mourning he, he restricted himself from eating so that he could pray in a focused way and cry out to the Lord. Another area might be the idol of our own sufficiency or self-sufficiency. Not only when we're seeking comfort from food could it be an idol, but also when it is our sufficiency. We saw last week in Jesus' prayer, he teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about how in the land of abundance that we live on, most of us cannot relate to praying for daily bread. Throughout most of human history, uh, someone pointed out to me at the break, I mean, we haven't even had refrigeration for I don't know how long, they told me, 100 years, I don't know how long. The person mentioned that to me. I just forgot the number. So we've only had refrigeration so long. For his history, for most of history, people lived in a very subsistence way. You didn't have uh, you didn't have a freezer full of food and an extra freezer in the garage full of food. And we joked last week that you, you couldn't buy macaroni and cheese from Costco that lasts 20 years. We talked about that. So we, people, we live in complete unreality to most of the world. Historically, and in mo- many places in the world today, someone with wealth and means and, and sort of unlimited access to food that is a sign of strength, and that is a sign of prosperity, and that is, that is a blindfold at times to our need for God, because that, that's why that prayer just stuck, stuck out, stands out to me, give us me today our daily bread, and I expanded it to other physical needs, health, sleep, what do we need physically? Let's look to the Lord and ask for all of those. So I had to expand it so that it related to most of us. I hope it was a fair exegetical expansion. I think it was fair, but he's really talking about food in the, in the strictest sense. So God said in the scripture that people who are well-fed can lose touch with their need for God. So food is a gift, food's a blessing, but an abundance of food, we can lose touch with our need for God. And before Israel went into the promised land, he actually warned Israel about this. Now, we think of, hey, the risk of the promised land was all the bad people and the Canaanites and their religion, and they were going to oppose Israel. That was the greatest risk. That was a risk, but you know what really was the greatest risk? God's gifts to his own people. 
Uh, Isaiah, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6, this is what he says. Before they go into the promised land, when the Lord God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord." When you brought, when he brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, it is the Lord God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. He says, when you have these olive trees, when you have these vineyards, and when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord. And do you know what happened? They prospered, they ate, they were full, and they forgot the Lord. Now, I'm not saying I wish that we didn't have food or anything like that. I am grateful and for the, for the food that we have. But the reality is it does distance us from our immediate dependence upon the Lord. That's why prayer at mealtimes can be rote and meaningless, or it can be profoundly meaningful. If we're praying before our food, Lord, thank you for this provision. I don't deserve this, but you are taking care of me. And as we sit down and eat this meal, we want to enjoy this gift we're not going to worship what's on the plate, but we are going to enjoy it. We're going to thank you for it. We're not going to feel guilty about it. We're going to, uh, you know, receive this gift, and we're going to thank you for what it is meant to us and what you mean to us by giving this to us. So that can be a powerful reminder. But when fasting, if, if you choose to take a time to fast, one of the things it does is if you like eat regular, if you eat multiple, you know, three meals a day, most people do, if you eat like that, then you may be remembering like 1030 in the morning, I need God. It might draw, draw your attention. By two in the afternoon, for sure you know you need God, and by eight at night. It, sometimes going without is a reminder, and so we're praying, not only Jesus, you are my comfort, but Jesus, you are my provision. Sometimes when we fast, we grow physically weak, we, we take the time we would eat a meal, and we come apart, and we pray and meditate on God's Word. And while we're praying, we may feel weak. It's time to say, Jesus, you are my strength. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word of yours. Lastly, I would say pleasure. Um, comfort, self-sufficiency, pleasure. God gives food as a gift, and we are to... But Okay, let me back up. God gives food as a gift, but as with every gift, whether it's His creation, whether it's love, whether it's sex whether it's work, with every gift that God gives, we must fix our pleasure and our joy ultimately back to the giver of the gift and not the gift itself. Because if we worship work or we worship sex or we worship food as our, as our source of pleasure, that's idolatry. From the beginning, God provided food in the garden. And when we think about food and its gift, the gift of food, have you ever thought it could be very different than it is? But God gave us taste buds. And God gave us a sense of smell so that you can smell. I mean, what is better than the smell of smoke off the grill? I love you vegans, but even you got to say that's a vegetarian. Even you got to say that smells good, right? We're, we're there. Just the smell off a grill, that is a glorious smell. Or when you eat, your sense of smell, you know, is a significant part of your uh, overall sensibility to taste. So God didn't have to do that. He could have said, you're born, I'm going to dump something in you, and that's good for about 70, 80 years, and then you die. And you never. But he gave us eating as a regular way of recognizing our dependence and recognizing his gifts, the gift, at least in our culture, we eat tasty and good foods. We have the, uh, the, the privilege of that. So have you ever thought about that? 
to, to celebrate what God has done for us. As a matter of fact, he even calls his people to feast at points where, where it would be wrong to fast. Don't deprive yourself. Uh, it would always be wrong to deprive yourself for the wrong reasons, which Jesus is pointing out here. But it would be wrong to deprive yourself during a season of feasting. So it's even a source of, it's a tool for celebration, but food and drink must never be a primary source of joy and pleasure. It is a gift from God, and He is the source of our joy and our pleasure. So when we fast, we're saying, Lord, thank you. You are my joy. You are my highest pleasure. So those are a couple of things about how we relate with food uh, the danger of relating to food is idle, but the, the, rather than seeing it as a gift, and the privilege of what God can cultivate in our heart about bringing us in touch with Him as our comfort, Him as our sufficiency, Him as our joy and pleasure, even when we don't eat for some period of time. Well, what's the application here? First of all, consider fasting if you haven't. Verse 16, and when you fast when you fast. Um, I want to say, first of all, when you fast, consider some bad reasons. uh, Or let let me back that up. Let me give you some reasons not to fast. So one is the primary meaning of the text, uh, to to impress others. Or even, well, the church is having a fast on some Friday. Well, I guess I got to do it because if anybody asks me, uh, you know, so I'm, what do other people think about me? So to impress others is a wrong reason. Um, if you want, again, I'm not here to comment on weight loss or health, but if you, if fasting is part of your regimen for that, that's not what's happening here. Just acknowledge that's two different things. Now, maybe um, if you battle gluttony and you feel like the Lord putting it on your heart, uh, you know, to, to pray about that, uh, maybe if you went without and that's part of your prayer like any other sin that you're repenting of, okay, maybe there's a place for that. But, but the weight loss kind of a thing, that's not what Jesus is talking about. So I want to say to think, to like double dip, hey, I'm going to lose weight and I'm going to really impress the Lord. The fact you think it's going to really impress the Lord, that's a problem right there. Uh, so that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. Um, another reason not to Fast, as I, as I mentioned before, if you, if you wrestle with an eating disorder, then, uh, then please get some help there um, and, and rather, than, rather than fasting. Uh, another reason not to fast would be, a bad reason to fast would be um, to like sort of get something from God. Now, I want to be careful because he does promise a reward. I think the reward is him, knowing him as your sufficiency. But sometimes fasting is talked about this way. I have a need, I'm going to pray about it, and maybe God will answer. I have a need where I really need an answer, then if I go without food, that sort of, this can be a mindset, sort of twists God's arm. Now he's really got to answer. He wasn't really listening before, but now that I just skip breakfast, the God of the universe says, what do you need, you know? Like I'm going to somehow twist God's arm, you know, like I'm going to amp it up like he owes me. God, I didn't eat dinner. You got to come through, you know? I just want to say, this is important. Fasting isn't about getting God on our side. It's about getting us to God's side. Fasting is about getting God's heart, being aware of our need for Him. Here are some good reasons to fast. Sorrow and grief, and we're praying and going to the Lord at a time of need. doesn't mean you always have to when you're sorrowful, but it could be. There's biblical precedent for that. To humble ourselves before the Lord in repentance. 
That's a good reason to fast. To seek God's strength in our weakness. That's a very good reason that we might fast. To grieve over injustice and to identify with the needy and to give to provide for the needy. That's Isaiah 58. We got clear text of precedence for that, to help the poor. Uh, The Bible says he'll reward our fasting, the Father who sees in secret. So another one might be to, to, uh, to, uh, to, to receive God's strength, to come with our weakness, to receive his strength, to, in our emptiness, receive his presence and experience his presence. Uh, oftentimes our spiritual sensitivities are attuned uh, with fasting. I don't have a verse on that, but I just think that's a, that's a t- typical testimony, that oftentimes I'm more aware and I'm more aware of his presence in fasting. To recognize our need for his power in service, that's what happens in Acts 13. Um, Our last fast together as a church um, was in January, and I didn't realize it at the time until I studied, but Caleb led us in that fast. Uh, He he prepared the teaching, and and so we fasted on a Friday, and then we uh, prayed on Saturday. And man, I didn't realize, but he did such a great job on that. I thought it was great at the time, but now he had us fasting. He led us to fast for immigrants, the unborn, widows and orphans, the poor. So we took various categories of people in our city and prayed that the Lord, the homeless, the Lord would help us. That was an Isaiah 58 fast. We were becoming aware of needs and praying and looking for ways to help. Our next fast as a church will be on Good Friday, which Caleb scheduled. And that really goes with the Day of Atonement kind of a thing. Good Friday is Christ's death for us. So if you participate in that fast, that'd be a day to say, Lord, my sin grieved you, but thank you that you have died for me. And thank you for grace. It would be a day to celebrate his grace. And then we will come together and pray on Saturday, um, asking for his presence for Sunday as we gather Easter as well. So that'll be a, that's our next time as a corporate fast together. Uh, I think this weekend, I, I didn't fast, but I think this would be a great weekend for a fast. We talked about um, Sanctity of Life Sunday and uh, the holiday, uh, MLK holiday. Uh, so that kind of, you know, prayer for injustice and prayer for the, the vulnerable, prayer for the, uh, uh, the abortion issue and for racism, those kinds of things. That would be an appropriate biblical fast as well. So uh, food is a gift. Food is good. Food is to be enjoyed and celebrated. We build fellowship around food. Food is to be a tool for feasting and celebrating at points. And there are also times to withdraw from eating. Uh, so that we may connect with God in a fresh way, recognize his strength in our weakness, and, uh, and grow, grow, grow closer to him in prayer and pour out our needs before him as well. There will be a day when there will be no more fasting. And uh, Jesus' disciples didn't fast. Somebody came to Jesus and said, the Pharisees fast, their disciples fast, why don't yours? Jesus said, because I'm with them. When I leave, they'll fast. But while I'm here, there's no fasting. And so we will be with him, and, you know, the new heavens and the new earth, the picture is ultimately, the the picture is a wedding feast of us joining with all the believers and feasting before the Lord. Uh, So there'll be a day when we're with him and there is no more fasting, and we are to look for that day. And Jesus has even provided one way of eating and drinking that reminds us of what's to come, and that's the Lord's Supper, which we're about to receive. In the Lord's Supper, what we're remembering is we're saying, no, we're not fasting, We're going to eat something here, and it's going to remind us of the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's going to remind us of the day when there will be no more want, no more sin, no more need. It's to point forward to that day. 
That's what Jesus actually said in Luke 22 when he, uh, when he instituted the Lord's Supper at the, at the Passover. He actually said to his followers, um, Luke 22, if I can find it. He said, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not eat of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So the kingdom has come in Jesus, but not its fullness. It will come at its return. And so the Lord's Supper is a way to eat and drink, looking forward at part to his fullness of the kingdom, which will come. And so we want to do that uh, now. Let's stand together. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.